Thank you, Brother Daniel. Last two great songs together. Majesty was written by a man named Jack Hayford, who was the pastor of the church on the way. Brother Jack has been very ill over the past two years, but a tremendous man who has done a lot for the body of Christ over the, uh, the, the past few years. Well, we have so enjoyed our time here with you. And uh, as I said last week, not to go back through that again, it's for the sake of time and, and some things dealing with on a health basis, we uh, are having this to be our last Sunday, but uh, we, we, we believe what God is going to do in the coming weeks and months here at Forest Heights Baptist Church. My sister here, she was saying that they are in process of looking to move to Glasgow, Kentucky, and we're going to be praying for you. Uh, but they they may stay in Athens, and I understand. <laughs> Went to school in Louisville and understand the, the difference there too. Well, I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to First Peter, chapter five, verses one through six. And I'm reading this morning from the New King James Version. And, and this is a message in the interims that I have shared that I usually share towards the uh, call of a pastor in the interim. But uh, you're, we're at the front end of that time of the call of a pastor. But I still want to share with you a message entitled The Pastor and the Church. Now, before we go into the text, I, I want to talk to you about the uh, uh, the, the, the office of pastor biblically, but uh, it's, it's uh, always a difficult task to serve as pastor, um, and, and people are always looking for the perfect pastor, and I love this, uh, was put out, I think, in the United Methodist Church, but still a great saying, it's talking about the perfect pastor, the perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes, he condemns sin roundly, but never hurts anyone's feelings. The perfect pastor makes uh, $40 a week, uh, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, and donates $30 a week to the church. He's 29 years old with 40 years experience. Um, the perfect pastor always has time for church councils and committees. He never misses the meetings of any church organization and is always busy evangelizing the unchurched. Uh, the, the perfect pastor is all, I love this, the perfect pastor is always the next church over. And at the end of this, uh, it, it says, um, if your pastor does not measure up per, per, perfect pastor, simply send this notice to six other churches that are tired of their pastor and then bundle up your pastor and send him out to the church at the top of the list. If everyone cooperates, in one week you will receive 1,643 pastors. Uh, one of them is bound to be perfect. <laughs> now, we, we know that there, there are, we can talk about the, the, the search for a pastor. I want to talk a little bit about what does the Bible say and how did the office of pastor come into existence? At Pentecost, when the church was birthed in Acts chapter 2, the authority or leaders in the church were the apostles. 
at that time there were 11 apostles and then uh, apostle was elected named Mattathias but he was not the correct one that the Lord wanted so later on Paul was one of the apostles. So initially the churches were led and shepherded by the apostles. But in the first five years after Pentecost, it is estimated that the church grew to over 50,000 people. So by the time we come to Acts chapter 13, actually uh, Acts 6, was the first office of the church was created. It wasn't pastored. What was it? Deacon. Deaconos. The word literally means servant leader or the leader who serves. Because there was an issue, you know Acts 6, 1 through 6, because there was an issue of the distribution of alms on Friday, and some of the Greek-speaking believers felt like they were being shortchanged, and the Hebrew believers were getting more. So the apostles came together and they said, it is not good for us to leave, verse 4, the ministry of the word in order that we might Look over this. So choose out among you six men uh, of good report and full of the Holy Spirit. And it was at that time that the deacons were ordained and they laid hands on them. And laying on of hands was a picture of a passing on of the authority from one person to another. Now, by the way, the deacons in that day didn't just meet and make decisions and feed people. They actually preached the gospel. The first deacon, the first martyr for preaching the gospel we read about was a man named Stephen. And Stephen was a deacon. But these men were chosen out. As the church grew over the next 10 years, by the time we get to 1 Timothy chapter 3, the churches were, they were, were, were at a place where they needed a local, the word in the Greek New Testament is used as episkopos, which means an overseer or a leader. And so they called out men who would be leaders or pastors in the church. And we get in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, a description of the qualifications of the pastor. Now don't do it while I'm preaching, please. But if you will go home and read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and look at the qualifications for the office of deacon and the qualifications in the office of pastor, you will see there's no difference. There was the same standard that was set. So this office of pastor was chosen. And God began to put there these men who would later on be called, it's, you say, don't try to impress, I'm not trying to impress you. But another name was given to him. It was called poimen. And it was a word that was meant under shepherd. So by the time we get to the end of Peter's life, 
which is probably 20 years afterwards when we believe 1 Peter was written, the office of pastor had already begun to be ordained in the church. And what you're doing right now, what you're going through, is you're seeking an under-shepherd. Now, look at 1 Peter chapter 5. The Apostle Peter, in the last years of his life, he's beginning to uh, describe this. Now, he, he does use two words here. He starts out by calling them elders. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Now, I want to stop there just for a moment. By this time, Peter was saying that the authority, the apostolic authority in his life was the same as those who were pastors. He called them fellow elders. Now, I want to stop just a minute and say this to you. I want to say it kindly, but I, I've, I've said, I'm not picking on Forest Heights because I said it at Nicholson Baptist Church, Crawford Baptist Church, uh, Wren's Baptist Church. I can just go through all of them that tell you the same thing. You will never find a church that is blessed by God that is being led by anyone else besides a pastor. Now let me stop, <laughs> because you're saying, oh, Danny, are you preaching autocratic leadership? Oh, no. Any pastor who's going out and making decisions on his own without, number one, consulting other godly leadership, and the godly leadership should be the deacons. When your new pastor makes a decision, is talking about a decision, he should be on the phone with Bobby Hallinger. You're not going anywhere, are you, brother? Heaven. We're going to pray no time soon. <laughs> because, let me tell you, whenever the pastor and the deacons are married, it's magic. 90% of the issues that you face will not be insurmountable if your leadership is together. If the elders, the elder of the church, and the deacons are in harmony, any pastor who has all of his deacons going against him saying, don't do this, and he decides to do it, unless it's on the issue of morality, is dumb. <laughs> It's stupid. Number two, let me say this to you again as another part of that. When it comes to the value of him, we need to see our pastors, our Episcopos as valued leaders. Now, let's go through because I, I want to share with you I'm not teaching some kind of autocratic model or uh, but, but I want you to see this with me. He calls them fellow pastors. And so what he is, um, what he's talking about is that the pastors and, and are, are there as a, as a blessing to God. Let's read the text. 
to the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder and a witness to Christ's sufferings. And the one, and, and let me stop. I'm reading, I'm usually traditionally New King James Version. I'm reading from the NIV this morning. It's, it's just a better, it's a better translation of, of this particular text. And, and the one who will uh, share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of the flock of God's flock that are under your care serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you are willing and God wants you to be not greedy for money, but eager to serve. So what he's giving them, and, and he's speaking right now to, uh, to, to pastors. The first audience, Peter's talking to his pastors. So I want you to overhear what the Apostle Peter, through God's word, is saying to pastors. Number one, you are to be shepherds. Now, what he's talking about is that you're given to be a shepherd to a flock. There's a, two things that a shepherd does. Number one, he protects the flock. One of the senses, uh, as we navigate a post-Christian culture, as we live in a time where uh, there, there's a reality to us, is that, that the pastor fulfills that role that looks doctrinally, uh, is what does the Bible say? How do we apply it? How do we do ministry? So number one is the role of protection. Number two is the role of leadership. Now when he uses the term shepherd, he, he's using a, a, an inference that God is the one who calls the pastor. Now, <laughs> my wife, we were talking about when I came to church, when she was 16 years old, she served on a pastor search committee uh, called Choice Watson, was pastor of Bath Baptist Church. He married Sherry and I. I worked on staff for him. Uh, he's gone home, he and his wife, to be with the Lord. But she started back at 16 years old. We have probably talked, I, I mean, oh, 15 I don't know how many pastor search committees over the past 45 years. We celebrated 45 years of marriage yesterday. <laughs> and uh, to put on Facebook, we've lived in three church parsons, just five houses in four states. So it's been a journey. <laughs> but he, here's what I want to, going back to it. God calls the pastor. Now th this, is an this is an attitude issue. It's a knowledge issue. You, listen, I'll say this to you. I love you. You do not hire a pastor. We are constantly in the business of what we do of hiring people. The pastor, you say, wait a minute, Danny. He's, he's an employee. You have to go through guidelines. You have to do background checks. We have to go through processes. Oh, yeah. But in all we do, and all the convoluted process, and it's a tough process. Pray for Tim, pray for your search committee, because it is an arduous process as they go through seeking God's man. But what we believe is, then the back of all that that's happened, and they'll go through the process, surveying the congregation, 
getting down to the candidates. Does everybody agree? Let's get our top five. Then they interview the top five. And, and they go through that whole process. And, and it's frustrating because sometimes they get down to that top five and it just stops. <laughs> now, it may. First time they do it, it may. Maybe the right candidate comes. But can I tell you what's happened a lot? It's amazing. You guys have seen this. Pastor search committees will go through the process. They'll work through it. They'll get frustrated. Things will happen. And as if almost by accident, God puts the man there. And God calls him. And that's why you've been, it speaks well of a church and a pastor whenever a pastor stays 25 years. I didn't know Mike. He wasn't a close friend. We talked a good bit. We threatened to play golf together. We never made it. <laughs> but he was a great guy. And, uh, and stayed here 25 years. Now, Lex told the church, and, and he's right, that in most cases, if a church gets in too big a hurry, the first guy that comes in is really an extended interim and stays for three to five years. Why? Because 25 years you get used to doing things one way. And when somebody comes in different and changes it, it creates conflict. So that's why it's so important for churches to take their time and seek God's man. But here's what I want to tell you. Ultimately, God called him. And, and that person has to be someone that the Lord calls. And it's, it's just, uh, I'm going to share something later on. I'm <laughs> to, okay. Number one, the God calls the pastor to a church. And he puts that pastor there. Uh, number two, pastors are to protect and to love and lead the flock. I want you to see this uh, in, in the rest of the verse. Uh, look at the end of verse number three, uh, 3B. You are willing, as God wants you to, to not be greedy for money. He's saying your motivation, the pastor's motivation, should never be... Uh, for material gain. Now, the Apostle Paul told the church at Ephesus, and I'll go back and check and correct myself tonight if it's not correct, that the workman is worthy of his hire. You know you should pay a pastor. You've got to take care of their family. But the motivation of the pastor should never be material gain, but eager to, look at the rest of the verse, eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you but being example to the flock now when I talk to young pastors and I have about four or five that I'm constantly in touch with I, here's what I say to them and I want you as a church to overhear this as you go through this process I tell them that if I had to do it over again I wouldn't be as worried about budgets, buildings, and baptisms. I wouldn't be as concerned 
about growing the church and seeing how many people I could get to come. But my first concern would be this, to build a relationship with the Lord Jesus that's deep in my life and then build relationships with the people that God's called me to serve as pastor. I wish I loved people more, Steve. <laughs> I can look back on years serving as a pastor when I was running so hard that I would run past people. And, and this is an opinion, <laughs> but I think in all the things we're doing today with the megachurch model and 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 all that stuff is we're, we're kind of running past what God wants for his church. I pastor a church 1,800 members, so we gather in staff, and we knew we had to have 150 additions just to stay even <laughs> because of just attrition, people moving. And a lot of times it became like a business. Now, I'm a business owner, so every year with a business coach, we sit down, set an annual goal, growth goals, salaries are based on that, da-da-da-da-da. There is a business aspect to the church, but the church is not a business. It's the body of Christ. There has to be processes, but... He said, the model that you have is to love the people. Now, I'm going to say this to you. You need to help your pastor love you. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Be lovable. You are not going to like every guy, every pastor that comes here. The guy that the church calls. You may think, well, we need somebody 50 years old. The church calls a 35-year-old pastor. You may think the church needs a 35-year-old pastor. They call a 50-year-old pastor. You love that person. Now, I want to share this with you, and I want you to write it. I don't say write this down, but remember this. When your pastor comes, if you have an issue with him, go and talk to him. That's tough to do, but it helps you. It, it makes a difference if somebody comes to you and says, I, I got a problem with this. But a lot of times what we do is we let the issue fester. And by the time it gets into where you're communicating with your pastor, it's so big it's blown up that you're just ready to walk away. And our pastors today are seeing that, experiencing that, and what happens is they become guarded and sometimes can become jaded. Let's go on. Number number three. <clears throat> I've covered that. <laughs> I want to say that Shepherding, number three, shepherding means that all shepherds are not the same. 
when God calls a shepherd to your church and calls someone to your church, it may be entirely different from what your expectations are. Why? And we haven't spent any time with this. I'm sure Mike has. Because when you and I become believers, we are saved and the Holy Spirit comes in our life. And what we're given is a spiritual gift. Now, I believe that a lot of times God gives us a spiritual gift at the time of need. But usually in our lives, there's one motivating gift that we have uh, that drives us. For some of us, that gift is leadership. For some of us, it's evangelism. For some of us, it's serving. For some of us, it's prophecy. And when I say the word prophecy, I'm not talking about foretelling uh, a prophet is somebody who will just tell you the truth bluntly. But the tendency is when we have a spiritual gift, we want to be around other people that have the same spiritual gift. So if our pastor doesn't have that same gift, what we feel like is, well, he's not measuring up. Not all pastors, in fact, no pastor can be a gifted counselor, a gifted Bible teacher, uh, a gifted administrator, a gifted uh, chaplain, a gifted uh, prophet to speak against morally everything world. It's just God doesn't gift everybody that same. So what do we do? We accept the person God gave us, number one. Number two, we pray for the Lord to send people with the spiritual gifts to fill in the gaps. So when I, as a pastor, have we've called other staff people, I haven't looked for people like me. I just said, Lord, send somebody. This is an area where I'm weak. Put somebody here who is strong in that area. You say, well, the church, we don't have a multiple staff. Pray for God to put leaders in that area to draw people in. And I tell you what happens. It's so exciting to see. We start praying for God to put a particular, we have a need in the church, and we say, boy, there's this need right here. And the, what happens is a lot of times the Lord will send that person in the church that's needed. You just look back and say, that's God. It's, it's really neat what the Lord does. And so you just can't expect the pastor to, to, to be everything. Now, I know all you, you know all this, and you say, you're preaching to the choir, Danny, and I believe that because I believe that you, uh, you know all this, but I just wanted to, to walk through this with you again. I, let, let's go on down to the rest of it. Look at what it says in the rest of the verse. He says, not lording it over them entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. We, we are as pastors to be examples to the flock. You should expect that. Uh, a lot of times we live in a day, we live in a day today where it's just so cool uh, that, that part of <laughs> the movement today is one church out of Charlotte, North Carolina is going on tour and selling tickets. And I just need to stop there on that. And he's saying, be an example to the flock. 
of genuous and humility in Christ. Look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown and glory that will never fade away. He's speaking to pastors. The language that Peter uses is that when the Lord Jesus, who is the chief shepherd, shall appear, you will receive the crown of glory. And I will tell you that the crown of glory is mysterious. Uh, we, we do Bible studies on the crowns in the New Testament, and we talk about the crown of glory being reserved for the pastor. But, but there is this sense in which there is, in the life of a pastor, uh, a special call to faithfulness. There, there's a special reward, but the New Testament says there's also a special accountability. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13. And this verse can be, a, 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 can be abused. Obey your leaders, submit to authority, as they will one day give an account of themselves. So the Bible says that those who fulfill the role of leaders, because the writer of the book of Hebrews is actually referring to the leaders within the church, he said there's going to be a day when they're going to give an account for what they've done and how they've served. When they were put into the office of pastor, you know, I have periods of time when, when I'm not serving in an interim role. And during those times, it, it's so funny. And some of you experience the same thing. Somebody will walk in the office and I'll be out there and I'll start talking to them. It could be a vendor with hospice or somebody else. And, and I'll start talking to them before long. They'll say, are you a pastor? And I'll say, no. <laughs> I'll tell them, yeah. Why? Because you don't stop being that when God calls you. The call of God is on your life. By the same way, deacons, with you guys. A lot of deacons say, well, I'm not active now. You're always active. <laughs> but God calls the under-shepherd, and he takes them and he uses them. And it's special. And what I'm praying and what I know what you're praying for is in whatever time period it's going to be is you know you got to go through the transition in interim, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But whatever time that comes, God's going to send a man, and he's going to use that man is going to use this church. He is now. Back in July uh, 1997, my wife and I were at the beach and uh, with our family, and I got a call from a man in Aiken, South Carolina, named Julian Figpen. And he said, I had been at a church for eight years in Columbia, South Carolina, and had a restlessness and had a sense that God was doing something in our lives. And 
this man named Julian Thigpen says, I'm the chairman of the search committee for the Town Creek Baptist Church. And our pastor has died with pancreatic cancer. Uh, three and a half months ago, we're starting our search process because we have a new church under construction. We're moving from an old campus to a new campus. And our pastor died in the middle of the construction. And we want to talk to you. And I talked to several friends. They said, that's a train wreck. Don't go. Two weeks later, I'd gone down to Lake Hamilton, Florida, First Baptist Church, Lake Hamilton, Florida, with a good friend, Terrell Towns, and did a thing called All Day for Jesus. Uh, Bobby, I preached four times that day. I, God loves the word never. <laughs> I'm not going to say I'll never do it again, but it was the four times. The end of the day, a lady who grew up in South Carolina. I'm 450 miles from home. She walks up to me and says, my sister is a member of a church in South Carolina and their pastor just died. And I, I was listening. I just feel like they need to consider you. <laughs> and two weeks before, that church committee had already called me. We went to that church. It, it, it was an incredible journey. Uh, a lot of things happened. Uh, and and, and uh, we, we led the South Carolina Baptist Convention in Sunday School Growth in 1999. Uh, God used so many people. Um, our Sunday School Director named John Clark, I just... So I'm bringing this message to share with you. They, they had a, how old was Rebecca? 24. I'm sorry, 28. And she was killed Thursday night in a drive-by shooting. And uh, just wonderful people, a miracle of God. After three years, we had a lot of debt. Uh, I inherited the debt. We owed $3.4 million. When I came there, we were running 325. When we went in the new building, we, we, we started at 700 people. We settled out at about 550, but it was costing us about a million. It was costing us over $300,000 in interest just to stay in the building. Uh, you talk about stress. <laughs> our, our staff, Bobby, can I finish this story because I'm going to make application to it. Our staff was worried about it. I was so worried. I went to the beach and played golf and looked down at the golf ball, saw two golf balls. They did all kind of x-rays and came back and, and went neurologists and doctors said, I just think stress. So that winter, I went to Southern Seminary and started back the doctor ministry program with a guy named Tom Rainer. I shared our story, and we owed so much money, we were afraid to tell people, Ken. We took, <laughs> our staff figured up, and we figured every time somebody joined our church, they owed $32,000. <laughs> and we didn't know what to do. And I, I told them, I said, folks, I, I don't know. And so I was with a group of director of missions in my consortium group and, and presented a case study. 
And you know what these guys told me? They said, go home, call everybody together, do a PowerPoint presentation on Sunday morning, and let them know where you are. And then they said, secondly, Danny, you're, you're missing what God's doing. He's blessing this church. We did that. In May of 2000, we went before the church said, folks, we're having to do capital fundraising just to stay in this building. One man gave $1.5 million. He got mad in the process. He pledged $3 million. He reneged on the other $1.5 million. Now, you're talking about not having a problem forgiving somebody. <laughs> um, we told the church, and folks, it was like the, lift, the roof just lifted up. We started growing. God was blessing. That summer, I got a call from the larger church in Alabama. And they came down. And they said, we believe you're God's man. Our daughter was in her senior year of high school. We said, you know, hey, we'll fly you guys back and forth. We just believe you're God's man. My wife wrote me a letter and said, you don't need to go. <laughs> My 17-year-old daughter, who loves the Lord, said, Daddy, you don't need to go. I went. It was the worst. I believe, Brother Tim, Brother Bobby, I believe I called me to that church. <laughs> and God didn't call me. Now, I can get to heaven. That's one of the questions I want to ask. Lord, did you put me there for a difficult time? Because it was, I, I could tell you all the stories. But it was the four of the most difficult years of my life. But coming out of that, why did I tell you that long story? For this reason. I began to understand that the value of God's call is the most important thing. You don't need to worry about whether your church is running 40 or 50 or 60. That's not as important. Is, is God calling the person there? And when he does, let me say to you again, when he does, it's magic. I believe that for this church. We have two churches we've served where that's happened. And God just put the people there. And that's what we're praying for for this church. Thank you for listening. If you stand up, and, and uh, I thank you for listening. I could talk an hour on this subject. But I wanted to share this Bible story study with you before uh, you, you leave. If you didn't like this message, remember, come back. There's somebody else going to be here. <laughs> but God blesses us by giving us pastors. And he uses those men to lead his church and bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for letting us meet you today. And uh, we, I, I pray. I pray like Brother Harold used to pray 25 years ago. And I, I, it's particularly if I've talked about personal issues that 
our personal examples that father if there's been anything that has not brought glory to you i pray that you would take it out of our memory but father i would also ask those things that we apply from the word of god take those and use them in our lives to grow us thank you for forest heights baptist church thank you for leading this church and father for uh, all things it's not an accident that I've been here uh, these three months and and that this transition is here you're not caught by surprise and father you have a direction that you want this church to go if it's long-term interim you have that person Father, if if you have a pastor chosen now, and Father, we just know that that will happen. But whatever, Father, we believe you. We believe right now our lives are in your hands. The very next breath we take is in your hands. And Father, this church is in your hands. And the life of that pastor that you've chosen is in your hands. Be with this pastor search committee. Let them be at peace and agreement. Lead to that person that you've chosen. And Father, we know that men and women and boys and girls can be reached for Christ through the ministry of Forest Heights Baptist Church. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we want to give people an opportunity to respond as we conclude our worship together. I'm, and I'm a little over time, so we're going to just sing together. And if the Lord has led you to some decision, we'll invite you to come. If you're here this morning and you uh, need to know how to know Christ, you say, I haven't, I don't know him, I'm not sure. If you'll come, we'll share with you how to do so. If the Lord's led you to this church, you come right now. Or if you just need somebody to pray for you. Maybe you're going through a time of discouragement. You let the Lord lead you.